Hey, Rabbi. Good morning, Sir Priest. You forgot. You forgot my name. You forgot what? You forgot my name. But out of sight, out of mind. Wow. Yeah. Not even a response. This is, Not, this is tough. This is gonna be a tough podcast today. That's it's my internet cutting in and out. Uh huh. Right. 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 So, guys, because of everything that's going on in the world, we are we are zooming our podcasts and radio show. Um, so at times, the rabbi is in his daughter's room, which has bad Wi-Fi. And so um, um, forgive us, but it's still going to be an amazing show because we got this guy, Jason Evans, coming on, who is the missioner of missional communities in Texas, the Diocese of Texas. And so he is all about helping form communities in sometimes very unorthodox ways. And what does it mean to form a spiritual community in unorthodox ways? What are the hallmarks of it? The reason why we want to talk about that today, Rabbi, is because we're in strange days right now, and we need to be creative and innovative how we approach just feeding our own community and developing ways of feeding our spiritual communities and also the communities that are around us. And how do we do that during this time? So that's we're going to explore that, have some holy curiosity where God is calling us during this time. Um, does that sound right about you? Is that the show you signed up for today or did you show for something that's, else? That's the show was my understanding. Okay. I do think we will have to talk about your hair at some point during the show, if that's okay. Maybe, maybe what we can do is do like a zoom session, uh, with, with yourself and myself on how we, how we do best hair grooming. Okay. So if, 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 if you all as callers, um, as, as podcast folks, are interested in a live Zoom um, with the rabbi and myself to see his latest hair thing, um, let us know. Go on to our Facebook page. Uh, it, it is a priest and a rabbi podcast, and we will do a drawing. And whoever wins that drawing gets a free Zoom call with us, and you can see the rabbi's hair uh, during this time of sheltering during COVID. It is insane. And uh, this is what we want to do. This is, this is, this is, our, this is how we do ministry here. It's so effective. Um, all right, guys. So enjoy this podcast. Please share it and like it. It does help our analytics and helps other people find this when you do that. Even if you think it's terrible, leave a, leave a horrible comment and see these guys are the worst things since sliced bread. People are still going to watch it because they're going to be like, well, I want to see how horrible it is. So leave that um, and, and share it with people and say, check it out. Check this out. God bless you. We hope you're all doing well. Enjoy the show and let's get to it. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the program hosts and their guests and are not necessarily those of WSTU, St. Mary's Episcopal Church, and Temple Bait Hyam. Products that may be mentioned are not necessarily intended as an endorsement. Any reproduction or retransmission of this broadcast is strictly prohibited. And now, WSTU presents a priest and a rabbi. Call in with questions and comments at 220-9788, 220-WSTU. Now, here's your host. Oh, good morning, Martin County and everyone who tunes into our podcast from here to Turkey. We are so happy. This is a priest and a rabbi. My name is Father Christian Anderson, and next to me in the world of Wi-Fi Zoom, is the ever beautiful, best looking rabbi this side of the Jordan River, Matthew Durbin, Rabbi Matthew Durbin from Temple Beth Hayam. My friend, my brother, my rabuni, what's happening, brother? 
Uh, I'm doing, I'm doing, I'm doing pretty well on, uh, on this rainy Friday morning. Right. Well, where I'm at right now, and I only live a couple miles from you, it is not raining, but you know, that's just Florida. You know, if you don't like the weather, stick around for 20 minutes, it will change. Um, dude, you know, we, we've been uh, talking obviously as the whole world has about this Michigas that's going on. You like that? You I do. I do. Thank you, brother. I'm getting better by the day. This is what our friendship does. Um, this Michigas that we're dealing with and, uh, you know, we, we were, were, you and I are constantly trying to figure out how do we, how do we as clerics, as people of the cloth, um, effectively uh, lead during this time. And so we're, today we're going to go a little bit deeper into that of just talking about the difference between sacred space and sacred time. And uh, we have, a, we got a great guest for everyone. But in the meantime, before we get into that, guys, we need to talk about the rabbi's hair. Um, I, the rabbi's hair is, is incredible. And he tames it every morning. And I bring this up because Rabbi usually teases me about the product I put in my <laughs> hair. Um, I do put product in my hair. I am a metrosexual. And I spend a decent amount of money, a lot less money now that I'm a priest. Uh, before, when I was an actor, I would spend $200 haircut. Now I spend 20 right? So Come on, $200 a haircut. It's Los Angeles, man. I had to put like relaxer in it. You know what I mean? Uh, it was my business, right? It's, it, I'm not, hey, dude, I, I'm not scared. Yeah, I spent two hundred bucks. That's a that, that's a forty dollar tip. You know what I'm saying? Now wow. I spend thirty dollars total on my on my hair. Um, but but this is not a show about hair. This is a show about a, a priest and a rabbi. So let's get back to the rabbi. So we did a video Zoom call with our guest yesterday and jumped on the video Zoom call. And you know the, the Zoom etiquette is that you sort of look somewhat professional. And rabbi, this is what I love about Rabbi Matt. He's just not afraid, man. Rabbi's not scared. You, what you get, what you see is what you get. Rabbi shows up with hair that looks like I just got awakened by my daughter at 4 a.m. because she thinks there's a boogie monster in her closet hair. Your hair was like Liberace on steroids fire. I mean, it was like all over the map. And um, I'm surprised that our guest stuck around, that he didn't, he didn't like just run at that point. Run for the hills. I'm impressed by your hair, bro. And then I think that you yeah. continue to- Yeah, well, you know, uh, when, 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 when this pan- Well, look, I, th I think the more this pandemic keeps happening, uh, the more I am, um, the more I'm gonna start looking like Moses at the end. Yeah, so is, is everyone's got a little thing that they're doing while they're being doing this whole self-quarantining thing. Are you, it's, it's like for me, I'm kind of growing out a mustache, which looks deplorable. How about how about you? Is it your hair and you're going going without product? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think so. I'm going for the natural look. You, you've nailed that. Yeah, you 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 nailed it. So, uh, you know, our guest today has just said, "Forget it. I'm going to make a real nice and easy and clean today. I mean, clean about hair because he just goes with the slick, no look hair look, um, and he he rocks it real well." Um, and uh, so our, our guest is, is Jason Evans. Now, Jason is out in Texas and um, he runs a pizza shop that he, no, I'm kidding. Um, Jason is a, a missioner. Well, let, let me just bring on Jason it's, uh, himself. Uh, Jason, welcome to the a priest and a rabbi. You don't know what you've entered into, but it's a mess and we're happy you're here. Well, thank you. It's good to be with you both Matthew and Christian. Uh, Jason, do you have any um, anything during this um, 
uh, time of COVID that you're doing, like growing out a mustache or um, anything that you're going to do that you'll just 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 stop once this whole we once we go back to the new normal. Yeah, I'm definitely feeling the peer pressure to do something of that nature. Everybody's growing out their beards, growing out their hair. Um, I've also seen some really atrocious home haircuts. Uh, so I'm I'm thinking I'll pass and just continue to shave every day and uh, keep my hair trimmed myself. <laughs> <laughs> good, good man. Good man. Uh, don't fall to peer pressure. Now, the reason why we bring out Jason today, uh, Jason, you are the missioner to missional communities, correct me if I'm wrong here, in the Diocese yep. of Texas, which is part mm-hmm. of the Episcopal Church. And um, so, so did, did I get that title right? And can you explain you to me? You did, what that yeah. You may, be, you may be the first person to have ever got the Mealy Mouth title correct on the first pass. Um, it is okay. kind of a, a strange title. But yeah, yeah. My, my responsibilities here in the Diocese of Texas, which, as you put it, is a part of the Episcopal Church, and it's about a third of the state of Texas that we cover um, from areas like Houston and Austin and Waco to Tyler to Beaumont. Um, so that part of the uh, Gulf Coast and, and north um, is the region that we, we cover. And my work is mostly with those that are starting new communities, whether that be um, starting new churches, um, starting new campus missions on different college campuses across the diocese. There's about 80 different campuses across the diocese of upper education institutions. Uh, and then just experimental communities, grassroots communities of people gathering in homes and cafes and, and other places to connect with people that otherwise wouldn't find their way to the Episcopal Church. So Jason, what is the, what, what's, what's the, dare I use the word sexiest, what, 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 what's the most outside the box missional community that that you're overseeing right now the one that where people are like oh well that's totally different (laughs) well there's there's quite a few different things that are going on across the diocese um and i could draw from a a variety of things we have we have a food truck ministry uh, that was started probably about five years ago it started out as a group of people meeting uh, in homes and in taco shops, and then decided, well, what if we were able to bring food to other people and build community that way? And so they've done that in a variety of different ways, from catering to also providing food re- relief through their their uh, their their food truck ministry, which is now has its own industrial grade restaurant grade kitchen that they're functioning out of, and uh, just building relationships through food. So that's been pretty awesome to see uh, develop. Uh, there have been people that have started uh, that have started uh, communities with uh, role-playing games. I don't know if either of you were ever into Dungeons & Dragons back in the day, but uh, yes, that sir. is still a thing, you know? And, um, and so there have been a number of communities that have st- started amongst people that play role-playing games together and, and build community through that. Um, and all sorts of stuff. One of the, one of the communities that I think is the most uh, endearing, but also provides a great uh, pun is our community in a memory unit uh, for elderly folks. And I always joke that, you know, it's easy because they just get to have the same program every week when they go visit the folks in the memory unit because oh. nobody remembers what last week was. Oh, well, no, no, no. Okay, so let me, let me, when you say community, and there's a question for our listeners here. Sure. Since you are a, a member of the Episcopal Church, you work for the Episcopal Church. Does that mean that 
these communities are spiritually based and there's always a Christian context and and or a somewhat church-like environment or could it just be pretty secular and it's just people getting together to have community for community's sake? Well, we tend to talk about three different traits when we talk about missional communities. Uh, and a community can get off the ground by emphasizing one of those three. The, those three traits are uh, relational. So you may have, first and foremost, can be connecting with people because they are looking for community. They want uh, new friendships, new relationships. But we feel like all missional communities do have an emphasis on building, nurturing relationships, meaningful, safe relationships. The second thing is uh, is spiritual, that they are Christian communities that are rooted in the Episcopal tradition. They're always connected in some way, shape, or form to an established congregation so that they have that accountability link and communication link with the rest of the diocese and with our bishop. Uh, and But they could they could start by, um, you know, doing any number of things. It doesn't mean that they would have the same services you would see on Sunday morning at an Episcopal church. They may be doing a Bible study or singing spiritual songs or any number of different uh, things begin to connect with people that maybe have an interest in the Christian tradition, even the Episcopal tradition, but for whatever reasons are not interested or able to go to a traditional church. Um, and the third thing is is that missional com- component. And what we mean by that is uh, that you have a group of people that are uh, that are constantly looking at participating in whatever they perceive God is doing in the world, serving the needy, um, leaving an open chair for the stranger and the outsider to be a part of their group, advocating for justice, whatever that looks like in their particular context. And what we often find is that sometimes communities get started through that that way, that they they connect with folks that really are interested in the goodwill of a particular community, that they have the sense of civic responsibility and engagement, and they they can get started that way. So it can, a community can start through any one of those three ways, but over time we think that they should have a reflection of all three of those attributes, those traits. And so that's a long way to answer your question that, you know, they may start out seemingly more secular because they're, you know, picking up trash in a neighborhood and that's how they begin to build community, or they just are starting a discussion group for folks that are looking for community. But when they, when they really get off and running, they need to have all three of those traits of missional and relational and spiritual uh, kind of humming uh, to really be what we consider a missional community in our context. Awesome. Awesome. So, so there's a, with those three things, you can really build upon, you don't have to have like all three right away, right away. Um, you feel the call to build the community and then you allow the three to either organically or intentionally develop on its own, um, which allows someone who wants to really develop or build a community to feel like, oh, I can do that. And it doesn't have to be like yeah. all systems go right at the same time. So let me ask you, because uh, the rabbi and I always, there's there's words and terms that we use in our, uh, I mean, this is a Judeo-Christian show. However, even mm-hmm. within the Judeo-Christian tradition, uh, there, are, there, are, there are hot words and trigger words. And uh, we discovered that last week, uh, we talked about it last week with evangelism. That sure. saying the word evangelism is very different for you and me, even within our own tradition. Sure. <laughs> there's people we say evangelism and that could set off a, a wildfire um, but now let's bring in you know rabbi rabbi matthew where we say evangelism and he's looking over both shoulders wondering who's trying to convert him um, so <laughs> rabbi when you hear the word mission or being missional what comes to your mind well uh, <clears throat> you know i think i think as jews when we hear the word mission 
missional. It's it's that 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 physical. Um, it's that active particip participation participation that goes in searching uh, for others to follow. If that makes sense, you know, we hear the word mission. It's it's going out of your context into another area uh, um, um, to empower others of the population to hear, believe, feel, experience, um, you know, faith in a way that may not be familiar to them. It's a mission to go but out and present and promote and um, discover. But do you, do, but do, in the Jewish tradition, would you use that term and say, all right, everyone, let's, we, we, let's, let's. Would we use that term? Uh, no, no. Very much a, is very much a Christian terminology. And yeah, does it make sure. you, how do you feel when you hear the word? Is it, is it? Is well, it I mean, I think when, when I hear the word, if someone were to say, oh, you know, I think, I think, I think it, it, in two different contexts. One, if we were to say we're doing a mission trip to Israel. As a congregation, that's different than let's form a mission to go out and convert others to our belief system. So you have used the term before. You would say we're going to go. We're we're going on a mission trip. I don't think we would use the term we're doing a mission trip if we were going to do like a trip to Israel. We would say a solidarity trip. I mean, I know this is all semantics and it's all words. But I think, as you as you mentioned before, you know, there's certain trigger words that when we hear them, um, they 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 ring Christianity in some way. Mission is definitely mm -hmm. one of them. Certainly, uh, evangelism uh, is another. Yeah, and I think, and Jason, what do you think? I think when you know, Jason and I have a, have have roots in a in a, um, in, in a conference called Missional Voices, where the, it, it just try to parse the word mission. So, in this show today where we're going somewhere with this, which is not to parse the word mission, but we do need to introduce this here, is that for, for there, there is some history with the word mission that could be that conversion, or we're gonna go on a mission trip to this country and we're hoping to share the gospel and bring people to Jesus. So there's this hope that's attached to it. Now that's, I would say in the 21st century, there's a wide expanse of looking at, and you say we're going on short-term mission, doesn't necessarily mean conversion. Uh, Jason, would you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, I think that there's the there is for a lot of people, whether they are within the Christian community or outside of it, there's a lot of connection between terms such as evangelism or mission, and other terms such as col uh, colonialism or collusion, and the mm -hmm. most negative sense you could imply with those words. And it's true that that there have been some points in church history where uh, we have used. Uh, terms such as evangelism and mission to do terrible things in different parts of the world and with different people, and we have to own that. I think where the where this the, the nuance with the word mission is this uh, this derivative of it missional, and that term really came in the late twentieth century when many theologians and Christian leaders and some former missionaries re really began to reflect on some of those practices that did not seem to actually cultivate something that was um, authentic to a biblical Christianity. Um, and what the, the conclusion that they came to is that the Church oftentimes says, we have a mission, 
and we're going to pray that God is on board with what we have discerned we're supposed to do, like that this is our thing. We, we want to build this new building, or we want to expand into this area. And they really were pressuring the church to really step back a bit and reflect on where the source of that mission was. Was it from looking to Scripture and seeing a pattern by which we can say, this is how God acts in the world, and therefore God has a mission, and we are intended to discern um, what that is and go participate in that, that this is the story of what God has been doing with His people throughout Scriptures and throughout time, is God is God is actively uh, seeking to redeem and reconcile all things to God's self, and we are being invited to follow God into that work, then how does that change it when the mission isn't the Church's, but it's God's, and the Church is invited to participate in what God is doing in the world? And that, that really ought to actually uh, shift our posture, so that we don't necessarily go into a particular context, uh, whether it be to start a new community or to serve folks in need in a particular context. We actually go there with eyes wide open, with a holy curiosity uh, wondering what it is, what is it that God is up to here that we are supposed to be participating in and fashioning our work around that. Now, certainly that can get twisted, but you would hope that with that kind of a posture and that kind of uh, self-reflection, it would it would diminish some of the hubris that the church has demonstrated at some of its worst moments in church history, and rather put us into a posture of uh, humbly serving our neighbor, loving our neighbor. And, and announcing and demonstrating what we see God is doing in the world. Yeah. So how 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 is it that the church, say in in modern time in in recent in recent time, how has the Episcopal Church tried to remove or eliminate some of that stigma of that of that of that history, uh, to put it more in a positive way? Well, I think. Uh, you know, that's something that we haven't perfected, and I think we're still working on that and figuring out how to do that. But one of the things I can say is that, so in times of crisis, like right now, or uh, in other crises like tornadoes and hurricanes and earthquakes and fires when they ravage different parts of the country, oftentimes what you'll see, particularly with the Episcopal Church, is that we may not be the, the first to get on site. We may not all oftentimes be the fastest in response uh, or bring the largest group of, of responders to a crisis um, uh, immediately. But what you often see with the Episcopal Church in scenarios such as that is that they they tend to be around the longest. Uh, they recognize that you don't always, in the midst of, of an immediate response to a crisis, know who is able to provide uh, uh, relief the best in that context, who has resources and who can help best. Um, so people can go around scrambling and trying to do what they think is the right thing to do in that moment. But the Episcopal Church has tended to kind of slow roll into a crisis so that they can listen well to the players in a particular area, responders in a particular area, figure out who actually has expertise and wisdom, who has the resources to offer, and then tries to lean into that type of opportunity, that type of work. And so sometimes, you know, you'll see a different tr Christian tradition kind of just, you know, run into a particular crisis, respond really quickly, do something great, head back home with a uh, head held high and kind of a rah-rah, look at us, look what we were able to do moment, uh, and feel pretty confident in what they did. Um, and then the, the, 
the Episcopal Church just will linger and will stick around and and pay attention uh, to to need for an experience, for an extended period of time. So I can say, uh, living in Texas during Hurricane Harvey, um, as we would go around, you know, there was there would be times where you'd go into a neighborhood, say to to be dropping off food, and you would hear of a group of well-intentioned youth group from another part of the country that came through and uh, cleaned out a house. Um, and ended up uh, throwing away belongings to the homeowner that didn't weren't intended to be thrown away, or or maybe they they cleaned out the wrong house after the storm, uh, and uh, it was it was really sad. But some of it was because of a of a just an, a, a good intention, but not listening, not paying attention to the context and seeing who already has wisdom to be learned from. Um, we're still responding to Hurricane Harvey uh, in our diocese. Uh, we've, we, I mean, we weren't the first to show up in each neighborhood, but we've stayed around to help people rebuild slowly. And I, I think that's kind of, that's just one example of, of how I think uh, we have tried to temper our, our hubris and try to level that with some humility uh, to when we go into a new community so that we can listen well to what, what is going on in that context, recognizing that we will hear the voice of God, not just through our scriptures, but we'll hear it through our neighbors, um, that we will hear it through, through that particular context and what uh, demonstrates itself is what God is doing in that place and how we ought to respond. This is great. It reminds me of a, of a, a book that we have started to try to get the whole staff to read over at St. Mary's, uh, When Helping Hurts. And, exactly, uh, yeah, it's a great book. Mm-hmm. Right, and so, because we've, we've, we, we do short-term missions out to Ecuador, and we've learned a lot, man. We, we've, we've learned about our own hubris, and uh, there's been a lot of, God has taught us a lot, and the people of Ecuador have taught us a lot about mm-hmm. how quickly we could get stuck into some old uh, patterns um, that have, uh, have, caused, have caused pain cause pain in the past you mm-hmm. go with such good intentions but you can easily cause pain so so we want to take all this you know we're going to take a quick break and when we come back now say all right so we've, we've, we've parsed out a little bit of, of what mission is and then ask this term that you brought up which is great the holy curiosity where where where, where let's have this some holy curiosity about what god whether it's god's mission or whether what, what just what is god is up to what is he calling us to do now when it comes to this practice of loving him and serving him in community uh, during this time of COVID. Um, so we're all in the very, uh, the structure or how we see, how we do temple, how we do church has, has changed for the time being. And maybe it will change in the future too. So when we come back from break, we're gonna uh, go head first into that. So stick around here at uh, A Priest and a Rabbi. If you wanna give us a call, you can go give us a call at 772 772- Two two zero nine seven eight eight, and ask about the rabbi's hair. All right, we'll see you in just a couple minutes. You're listening to a priest and a rabbi podcast. If you haven't done so yet, make sure to subscribe. And please leave a rating and a review, five-star rating and a positive review if you can. We certainly appreciate it. That is the best way to make sure that others out there just like you can find this podcast. If you want to get in contact with Father Christian and Rabbi Durbin, you can do so by emailing a priest and a rabbi at gmail.com. And the absolute best way to get a hold of the fellas is to call into the radio show. 
This podcast airs live on the radio every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. on WSTU 1450. And you can listen live online at WSTU1450.com. And if you want to join the show, you can call in to 772-220-9788. That's 772-220-WSTU. Hey everyone, this is Father Christian here on A Priest and a Rabbi. So happy for you to be here on this podcast with us. And I want to let you know that I have started a YouTube channel called Your Favorite Christian. And you can check it out on YouTube. And every Monday I drop a new episode. And it's always through the lens of faith, but taking on different topics such as dating, relationships, marriage, pop culture. I've done one recently where I went out to the art show and talked about how do we find our relationship with God through all the what all the latest artists are doing. Um, last week was what do women really want um, in a man uh, and interviewing different people to be a part of that. So uh, please check that out on YouTube. Subscribe, like, share, uh, put on the notifications so you get that every Monday. Um, I also want to let you know of uh, we this podcast wouldn't be here if it wasn't for a generous donor from St. Mary's Episcopal Church who wishes to remain anonymous. All he asked, though, was that um, the information gets out that St. Mary's Episcopal Church here in Stewart has a healing center. And so you can call if you're looking for a counselor, someone to be there for you during a challenging time, and you can call the church at 772-287-3244. We also have a group of Stephen ministers who have been trained over 50 hours of training to be with you and walk with you during a time of crisis. They are not counselors. They are trained just to be more of the presence um, of, of Christ or and, and walk with you during a time of crisis, whether it's a, a good crisis of having, oh my gosh, my daughter's about to get married, or if there's something a little bit heavier. So give us a call, 772-287-3244, and I thank that anonymous donor who uh, makes this all possible. All right, God bless you, and enjoy the rest of the podcast. Uh, welcome back to the second half. You took a quick intermission. You watched the, uh, the, the, the band play and the girls dance at here at the priest and a rabbi. And now we're back for the second half of the show. And today we are talking about uh, a God's mission during the time of COVID. And the first half, if you're just tuning in, we just try to parse out what, what is the idea? What does mission really mean? As, as, as far as we could go within about 10 minutes. And we talked about it from when, when, when the rabbi hears it, what does that mean? Uh, when our guest, Jason Evans, who leads missional teams, what does it mean to him? Uh, and so we parsed that out. And if you missed that part of the show, you know, this is a podcast too. So you can go on to any podcast platform, whether it's Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, and just uh, search a priest and a rabbi, and you can listen to the first half of the show. So let's get back to it. So, Jason, what is up with, um, you know, you mentioned earlier this idea of having holy curiosity, and we can't help as, as people of faith to wonder, and we always try to see where, what is God up to when, uh, all the time, but especially now since we're living in such strange and different times, and, mm-hmm. and we are limited or, let's say, been redirected of how we even practice worship, for instance. And we do right. formation, getting together. And so we can't meet in person. So this idea of physical space has changed. 
And so you deal a lot with people exploring different ways and going outside the box of how to explore building community and faith communities and practicing a love of God. Um, and so where, where do you see, where, where do you see the opportunity right now? You know, last week, Jerusalem Greer came out and said, maybe we're harkening back to the first couple centuries of Christianity and even in, in, in Judaism when you had to practice in the home and the home became the heart right. where you read mm -hmm. together. Um, what's mm -hmm. your take on all this of where God might be? Where, where do we need to have some holy curiosity? I think there's three venues that uh, we need to be paying attention to. Uh, as you mentioned, there's the home. What does it look like for us to name the sacred uh, in our own spaces, because all of us are confined to those spaces. Most of us are confined to our homes where we live, and so whether it's caring for kids, uh, our leisure time, or work time, they're all kind of colluded into the same space right now. And, you know, we've spent now close to a month, most of us, in that space, and as it's settling into a new normal, whatever that looks like for the time being, um, it's time for us to think about what it looks like in that space to recognize God at work in, in that particular venue. The, the second space I think that we have an opportunity and we need to be curious about is what does it look like to build spiritual community online? What, is, what are the components of it? One of the things that's um, beautiful but challenging about the Internet is how decentralized it is and how democratizing it is. Um, and some of the aspects that we saw in the early era of the internet are returning in this moment um, uh, where it's not simply just the larger corporations um, and online social media spaces that are really dictating how we engage with each other. There's a new level of curiosity as people are going onto the internet increasingly um, and spending more time there because of our, we have to do our work there, we have to connect with each other in that way. Um, the third thing is looking towards the margins in our communities. Uh, we've seen record-breaking, record-crushing numbers of unemployment. We know that food access is a major issue, and people of means are going to be able to find um, ways to access foods and the basic needs that they have to continue on during quarantine orders. Um, but for folks that have lost their jobs and were already in an insecure place, um, this is a new level of hurt and exposure. And so I think that we need to be thoughtful as people of faith, no matter our tradition, we're called to think about folks on the margins, think about folks that have less than we do, think about the other. And that is going to be a massive, um, that's going to be a massive need right now. And so we do need to be thinking about how we respond to that in ways that, um, that just as we were discussing in the first half, uh, don't do harm in an effort to do good, uh, that don't expose uh, other people in our homes to, uh, to this virus in ways that aren't, um, that aren't taking the appropriate safety concerns into mind and sanitization practices, but nonetheless are looking towards those that are hurting and helping out. So I think those are the three places, the home, um, how we engage in spiritual community on the, on the Internet, but then also how we pay attention to the most vulnerable in our context as well. And does the, that's great. Uh, that's the first time I've heard, you know, a, a, not a system, but just a map, sort of a, a map of how do we move forward during this time. And the second one, the second piece of 
spiritual community online is the one that comes a, a tremendous amount of time has been put upon that. I think once right. once we realize we're all going to be sheltered, every clergy leader from you know Christianity to Judaism to Islam to whatever all was like, oh gosh, how do I go online if they did, if it wasn't mm -hmm. already built in? And so they're 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 watching Lorenzo Labrija's video on how to how to go online with your with your worship service, and and so there's been so much attention put upon that. I feel, and I could be wrong here, uh, but that that there's been uh, way too much attention put on the second one about how do we build up spiritual community online, and maybe we've lost about this idea of the home, we're naming the sacred in the home, and then also how do we how do we then look to those on the margins and how do we serve there? Um, I'll just speak yeah. from my, my own church, my own context is that we're, we're, we're pretty active in our, in our outreach. And I would say that there's been a lot of attention so far, just in reach more or less. How do we keep the, the, the loving of the parish going and the worship of God going online and administratively, how do we make that happen with the cameras and the tech people and the sound and, the bishop said you can only have three people in a room at a time to make this all happen. And so, and we have one outlet for the margins. We have the soup ministry of delivering soup to shut-ins, uh, but I know there's so much more, right? So it's, there's a temptation and Rabbi, I don't know if you, if you agree with me that so much attention right now is put just on how do we just get this online? Mm -hmm. we, lose, we might lose touch with the first one and the third one that Jason was talking about. And the first part of this being, how do we name the sacred in our homes? And then how do we also be aware of those in the margins and serve them? Do you agree with that, uh, Rabbi? Yeah, I do. I, you know, I, I think it's, it's, it's interesting on, 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 you know, on the one end, I think that there is a technological advancement that says for people, you know, in times of crisis, like we're in now in times of great challenge, we have to modernize and use our technological advancements to which we have. Yeah, I agree with you. Okay. Um, I think on the, on the, on the other hand, it's, it's how do we access these things? You know, for, for many, I'm sure that may be listening, right. To do a zoom meeting or a zoom session, um, you know, for, for, for some, it may be super easy. Okay. I, I log on, I click on, you know, it's, it's automatic. And I think for others that struggle with it, it makes it more challenging. And with those challenges, how do I connect? I mean, when we look back, in our community, I think that there's some are, uh, we interact together. Well, do we really need, do we need a space that has four walls, a sanctuary, because um, everything now has been shifted. Everything now is is moved to the home, right? We do, uh, I mean, granted for us, for services, we're still in our building, just to a vacant building. Um, but I think for, for a, a large part of our membership, it's being able to see and to witness uh, and to be part of it. But I think for others, it's also the understanding, you know, when you're in your homes, you've built for yourself a sanctuary. I mean, a sanctuary doesn't have to be you know, the walls of St. Mary's Episcopal Church. I mean, the walls can be, you know, the confines of your own home um, and how you bring in, you know, that meaning and that value. So Jason, this is, a, this is a really good point here. Jason, how have you instructed or helped your communities be able to, let's just start with the first one you said, naming the sacred within the home as the rabbi was just talking about. 
Um, and uh, well, what kind of coaching or advice have you been giving them? Well, I think that uh, that um, Matthew just gave some great tips. You know, actually creating a space within the home where you do light candles, ring bells, uh, say prayers. Uh, that that's a great idea to, to to designate a particular space where you have that time where you connect with God. But I think that 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 actually alludes to one of the more important aspects of this is time. Um, you know, we, we talked about this when we spoke the other day, that, uh, that the Christian tradition has built a lot of its tradition around sacred space, but our brothers and sisters of other traditions, uh, namely the Judaic tradition, have oftentimes built their tradition around sacred time. And that may be as important, if not more important, during this uh, crisis, is that we help empower households, whatever their shape and size, to uh, craft out time that is uh, sacred, that they acknowledge that God is present, because that is going to be, I'm just thinking of children, I have children, but I'm thinking of young children in particular, that is kind of a confusing thing, right? Like if if the dinner table has now not only become the place where you have breakfast with your, your mom and dad, or that you have dinner in the evening with your family, but it's become the place that you do your homework and you have a laptop and talk to your teacher. How is that also the same space in which you experience the sacred, that you experience God? Um, and so having spaces, uh, not just space, but time that we say, this is the time where we, we remember that God has not abandoned us, that God is here with us in this moment, I think is really, really an important aspect. And so I think as uh, spiritual leaders, one of the things we can do is help people um, with the tools that might make that possible, which does go back to the online uh, resource that we have available to us. It's, you know, our, our temptation is to think of this as uh, church online, uh, rather than recognizing that the, the the Internet and the social media uh, outlets that are available to us, these are tools for communication. Uh, it's not as if back in the day when uh, the printing press became a thing, we said, let's have a church of the printing press. No, it was, <laughs> gosh, what does this communication tool make available to us? This goes back to what Jerusalem Greer on your, on your call last week was was talking about in, uh, in first century Palestine, that what did the early Christians capitalize on? the communication tool that was created by the Roman Empire, namely the Roman highway system, that made communication more efficient from one town to the next. It's the same thing now, that we have this tool for communication. Well, how can we use it to empower people in whatever context they find themselves in this moment to do the work of spiritual formation? Uh, so it shouldn't just be about logging on and watching spirituality happen online. Mm -hmm. It should be that those people that are our spiritual leaders are helping folks learn how to uh, exercise their spiritual tradition in the home, wherever they might find themselves. And the long tail of that is it generates a people that are going to be a more rugged uh, faithful that they will be people that know how to practice their faith, no matter the context, right? And we have seen that through um, our Jewish brothers and sisters tradition, that uh, the, the empowering of European Jews on how to practice their faith um, in the home, in, in the small group, um, allowed it to go through the travails 
of the Holocaust and come out on the other side uh, because of that rugged faith that was deeply personal, that had a communal aspect to it, but that individuals were empowered to exercise, not relying upon the religious expert to dis- to dispense something to them. And I think that that's the, the thing that we need to uh, explore during this time, and that's the silver lining, um, maybe, in this moment. Yeah, this is... Uh... This is great. You know, yesterday we talked about uh, um, Heschel and and, and Mm -hmm. idea of sacred space. And he talks about how the, you know, the sacred space is something, and this is to your point of, of this rugged faith. What a great term, having a rugged faith. And during this time, maybe that's one of the gems to mine here is our faith needs to get just a little bit more rugged it has been too uh, uh consumeristic you know we, we 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 have all these other things that we can consume our faith is one of them and we can uh compartmentalize it into a sunday an hour of power and uh, uh maybe a, a wednesday uh, life group or something and it just has its place and i consume it and i move on um but uh to your point jason and i think you know we all talked about this to heschel's sake it's not just a it's not just a, a time or space thing. How does everything, out of all time, no matter what chaos is going on, you um, has this opportunity for the sacred to come into it? Uh, and he talks, you know, when he talks about the Sabbath, he says like the Sabbath is like our our, our great cathedral, right? It's this it's right. this holy that the Romans or the Germans weren't able to burn away. They couldn't take this away from us. It has always been with us. This has been this holy time. Um, so how? What's the practical aspect of this, though, right? So, so let's let's put this in the context of of Rabbi Matthew and myself. We're we're here in a uh, Rabbi. Would you say? I mean, our context changes. I mean, it, it could be it's middle to upper upper class, but uh, it, we got a bunch of folks who are in their homes who have internet access. Uh, well, not everyone. Sixty um, percent of the people we deal with are over the age of sixty five, uh, and. Um, they really look forward to coming to temple and, and, and experiencing Shabbat together as a community or coming to the church and they find community and now they're alone. And they, there's, for me, there's a sacramental aspect. They're missing the sacrament. They really want to come and take the body, the body and blood of Jesus Christ. So um, what would be the advice you would give us? I know it's a tough question to ask since there's two completely different contexts, but just sure. looking at this idea of, of, of moving forward with this sacred time versus sacred space with our communities that we serve. Well, I think you you pointed out to this that there are things that we are going to grieve the loss of in this moment. First and foremost, we're going to grieve the loss of life. Um, we're going to grieve the loss of health. We're going to grieve the loss of income um, in, in, in many contexts. But we're also going to grieve the loss of our connection, community. We're not going to be able to be together and do certain things, um, whether that be... Uh, giving each other hugs and catching a cup of coffee over a small cafe table or celebrating the Eucharist together. Those are things that we're just not going to be able to do for a period of time. And so I think one of the first things uh, spiritual leaders, religious leaders need to do is is to help people process that grief and name it, that that this is going to ask of us to set aside certain things for a season. And it's okay to be sad about that. It's, it's okay to be angry about that. Let people process their grief and the loss of certain things. But then I think the other thing next is helping people 
find the tools they need uh, to create time and space within their their homes to name the sacred. That can be as simple as prayers before uh, before the kids go to bed. It could be prayers around uh, the dinner table. It can be uh, reflecting. It can be capitalizing on the the hours of prayer in our tradition that we we typically gather. And, and the beauty of that is that. It, it demonstrates to us. It can it can be a reminder to us that when we do that, let's say we do morning prayer or noonday prayer or gather for Shabbat around the table on Friday evening, whatever that is, we can be reminded that there are people like us in all parts of the globe that are doing that at the same hour. And what a beautiful comfort it is to know that we are not alone in that spiritual nature together in those practices. So how do we empower people and give them the tools they need to have conversations with each other about the spiritual nature of things, whether that be with adults or children? How can we give them tools to do that? Can we give some guidance on how to use our sacred texts uh, and our prayer books so that those things can be done in the home as well? Uh, and then I think the, th- the third thing would be um, how do we help people understand their their civic responsibility, their, their the kind of mission opportunity in this moment. And I'm reminded of uh, Dr. Uh, Larry Brilliant, the epidemiologist. He was interviewed by Wired uh, magazine uh, several weeks ago now, but he talked about the how how. Uh, how encouraged he was by the civic response of people by making masks and uh, and you know bringing food to shut-ins and and, and and things of this nature that it's that has been the one of the, the beautiful things about this moment is we have seen this incredible outpouring of of civic response of people engaging each other of loving their neighbor as almost all of our traditions ask us to do and I think that they, we need to figure out how, ways to do that in this moment, whether we are talking about a household with small children or, or adults or seniors. All of us, as, as humans, um, have something to contribute. We, have, we were created uh, to, uh, to, to give back, to, co- to contribute in a meaningful way. And one of the roles of our spiritual leaders, our religious leaders, can be to help people discern what that is to the different abilities, gifts, of each of us is how can we contribute in this moment in a meaningful way and for some of us that is simply going to be staying at home and that is okay that is that is our contribution is not exposing people but some of us can make masks some of us uh, can buy grocery cards and make sure people in need get those things um, or a, any number of things and all you got to do is just go to the internet and you can see how creative um, our brothers and sisters across the country are being in demonstrating goodwill and love of neighbor right now. And that is central to our practice. So I think those are the things that we can be doing in this moment as religious leaders. That's good. And I, and I feel like Rabbi, that you have a little bit of a leg up on this because you're, you know, the, the, the Jewish faith, the home-based or the or the 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 call to just celebrate Shabbat at home. I mean, I remember in, in Los Angeles that I would have a lot of my Jewish friends, mostly Persian Jewish friends. Shabbat was huge, and and they they would go and they before we go out because I was in the nightclub world. The, you you would show up and you get invited to Shabbat because Persians would have these huge gatherings, and it was it was committed. You didn't go out to the club until till midnight 
because you would go to the be with the family. And if you got lucky enough to be invited and to celebrate Shabbat, they were going to the synagogue or to the temple. They, 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 were, they were going to the home. The home was the sacred space. And there was yeah. a sacred time that was set out. I, Christians don't have that weekly thing where it's like, this is at home. We do this at home and we're going to have this meal. And we might have family meals, but not under the guise of this is where our faith calls us to do it. I mean, I hate to speak for every Christian, but there's nothing is, is just as blatant as every week. This is what we do because God calls us to do this. Uh, I mean, would you, would you agree with that, uh, uh, Rabbi? I do, I do, you know, because Shabbat is celebrated in the home, and I think, you know, as we, you know, light our candles, we, 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 you know, bless our wine, we, you know, we, we, we say the the prayer and the blessing over over bread that you know we bring in, we bring in God into our home um, as a as a sanctuary, um, and we, we we share in a meal together. I mean, that's what Shabbat is, but at the same time, there's also a lot of strength in you know, going to a, to, to your home congregation and, and granted not now because obviously of the times we're in, but before of being able to socialize, to be able to communicate, to be able to share in a moment with others who are going through the same thing of celebrating of, you know, God's greatest gift that he bestowed upon us of, of, of rest and of Shabbat. But I think, you know, for us as Jews, Shabbat has always been celebrated in the home. And I, I think, you know, for the reason why we, we, for some of our life cycle events, that we take them back to the synagogue as opposed to the home, is I can get a lot more people in a synagogue than I can in my own personal home. Um, but it's, it's, you know, how do we balance both of those from, you know, from the perspective of Shabbat is a sacred and holy time for us to celebrate and to come together as family. But at the same time, to also remember that you know my community, my community needs me. Uh, you know, how do we how do we find that 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 healthy balance? Yeah, and, and Jason, there's this would be a whole different show, but I'm, I'm sure there's conversation. Well, I know there's conversations I haven't dipped into it yet. Of one thing that this time has exposed to me about is is this dependence upon in our in our tradition, in the Episcopal tradition, and other traditions too, the dependence upon us all being present to receive the Holy Sacrament, right, of, of, of the Eucharist. And I've had parishioners reach out to me saying, can you just, if, what if I lift up bread and wine on the screen? Isn't our God big enough that you could then, if you're online doing the service, that you could bless and sanctify this bread and wine through the Wi-Fi waves? Are we saying our God is so small that that can't happen, that we all have to be in the same room and your hands have to be over the bread that I am going to eat in order for it to become the body and blood of Jesus Christ? I know I just opened up a huge rabbit hole there, but it, 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 it's time like to either make you think about from the perspective, where is the holy curiosity there? Um, sure. And like, because what if this went on for a year? You know, does that mean we just have to all fast from the sacrament and just look at it and just be voyeurs to a priest? doing it and uh you know um but uh we unfortunately don't have the time for that so uh jason <laughs> you know you brought up so many good points and i'm sure that there'd be people who'd want to learn more and find more is is there a place i think you don't you have a blog that people can go to 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 read up more on your on your great ideas and stuff absolutely uh you can find me at digitaljasonevans.com that's my blog and you can find different ways to connect with me through through that 
And to see some of the cool stuff you're doing, they people can just look, go to the Diocese of uh, Texas, the Episcopal Diocese of Texas website, and look under like all the different missional communities. Absolutely. If they're interested in seeing what we're doing specifically here in the Diocese of Texas, I would encourage people to go to Epicenter. So just think of you know the epicenter of an earthquake or whatever. Epicenter.org slash missional. So that's mission with A-L at the end of it. Um, and you'll see some of the work that we're doing across this region of the country. Awesome. Jason, Jason, thank you so much, man, for being on the show. Uh, it's My really pleasure. Nice to be given really some great pointers and uh, I feel inspired to, 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 uh, to get back to do the good work that we're called to do. So God bless you, brother. Stay awesome. safe out there and uh, keep on, keep on leading the flock. Take care, friends. All right, brother. So rabbi, um, how you doing, man? You feel good? You feel jazzed? I, I feel inspired. All right, good. I feel inspired because you personally sent me a picture of your hair. Um, but I also feel bad that our that our uh, listeners can't see that here. So we will post that if you with your approval on our <laughs> Facebook page. So everyone, you can go to the uh, Priest and the Rabbi podcast Facebook page, become our friend, learn more about us, our goofy selves. And you can also uh, follow us on Twitter, uh, a priest or rabbi that's on there and uh, share this, share this with others, share this podcast with others. And um, we love having you here and leave us comments about topics you want covered, especially now. And also how we can pray for you. If there's prayers that you have, um, let us know, go on our Facebook page, drop a prayer. We'd love to interact with you, uh, especially during this time to see how are you, where's your, where's the sacred for you? So God bless you. We love you. Stay safe. And God is with us throughout all this. Uh, just call his name. Um, 